Glory. Well, it's good to see everybody here this morning. Let me tell you, I'm glad that you chose to be here. I know that every Sunday you have a typical habit, if you know it or not. Uh, you get up and you say, Mildred, hopefully your wife's name's Mildred or fill in the blank. We're going to go to church or we're going to stay at home or we're going to do this. So you made a, a choice to be here and I believe that it's a God-ordained choice because of the things you'll hear today will have the potential, if you apply them, to change your life. Um, we, we've been excited for weeks, as I've been telling you, that we have on the horizon, which is next Sunday morning at 9.30, during our Christian Education Hour, uh, a new series called Habits. And let, let me just say this. I, I don't know if I've been so excited for a season... And sometime, I mean, I always love to preach the Word of God, and it seems like I get more out of it, just me sometimes, than people that I preach to. And, and I don't know what, what's going on in your life, but I, I, I know. I know John Miller, because I am him. I, I know what's going on, and hearing the Word of God changes my life. But the next season, as we get into sermon series on Sunday morning, this time, uh, after halftime, I'm going to be speaking on the series titled 90, and it's a journey through the life of Jesus. And, and some of us have grown up in the church, and some of us came to church a little bit later. Some of us have read the whole Bible through, and some of us have not. And, and so that we all are in different places. So what we're going to do is we're going to start at the beginning, not Genesis, but the beginning of Jesus' life, and go through until Palm Sunday and then Easter Sunday morning. It's going to be uh, information that will make sense if if maybe you're uh, a person that kind of... Pastor, can you put it all together? And that's what we're going to do for those uh, weeks that I'm in that journey of Jesus' life. In the morning at the Christian Education Habits, and then the morning service, we're going to be talking about 90. Let's open in prayer. Father, today you're a wonderful Father. And God, you have... Uh, spoken to us about coming today to church, that it's a good thing. And Father, that we have listened to your voice. And Father, I, I pray that now that we've made that choice, that we would all make another choice, that we would not leave here without getting the full load, everything that you have asked us to get, God, that you'll speak to us, that we would personally uh, allow the Holy Spirit to tailor it to our lives that, Father, as we leave, that, God, that we leave here different, and that difference is able not only to change us, but be world changers for your glory. In your wonderful name we pray, and everybody in agreement said, Amen. Amen. We're in a series, and this is the last week of the series, and it's called, What Makes You Happy? And if you've been here, what is the thing that we always say after that? What makes you happy? No thing. Good, you've been listening. There's no thing that makes you happy. It's a who or two, and that is true. All right. I'm telling you. If you can go back on Facebook, you can see some of the messages that I've spoken on this subject. And just kind of as a review, there's something that we all have to come to grips with, is that we're all on a happy quest. That is... What makes you happy? And, and I don't know, do, do you remember the first time that you got in a vehicle that had the automatic door locks? 
You know, and, and I remember the first time that I was in somebody's car that had the door locks, and, and it was kind of a cool car, and they'd kind of changed the, the lever to get out. It was just a lever. It wasn't, you know, something that I was used to. And, and I go, and I turn, and I look at the door, and I, I look at them, and I go, how do I get out of here? And on their door, they just went right here, right here, bump, and open it, and you pull this lever. And I went, okay. It could have, I don't know, I might be still in that car if they didn't tell me how to get out. This morning, when we're on that happy quest, and you know what what I'm talking about, because all of us look for something. It's it's typically, we find that it's like a square peg in a round hole that we keep trying to to find happiness. And through that, we try to put all these things into our life that that we're told through our culture, through media, whatever it is. And, and they're not bad. They're not all sins. But they're just not what God has created us to be in order to have happiness. In the last few weeks, we talked about how happy people are at peace. And it's not something that just goes, be at peace. It's something that takes time. And if you were here, you know it's, it's about sowing and then reaping. Sowing is a process. It's a process that leads to an outcome of happiness. So being at peace with yourself and to be at peace with God and to be at peace with others, it's a, it's a sowing process that we do. It's a continual thing. Well, we talked about all the different things that really, as God has put in our path, that, that we, we prioritize what God has given us as resources, so that we're not just spending it and consuming it ourselves. All those weeks... I'm so excited to get to this week because this is a week that when you hear this um, round peg that will fit in the round hole, it is the most counterintuitive thing (laughs) that you and I believe on the onset. It, It is something like, are you kidding me? Did you know that the actual thing of what makes me happy And it goes against that. This morning, I want you to see this. Because a lot of times that when we get into asking the question, what makes you happy? You go to what you have used in the past to be a a pleasure that you have immediately put into place to make you smile or to feel a certain way. Those endorphins to go off. Some people have have tried drugs and and that drug that that comes into their... All of a sudden there's a state change and there's something about it that they'll go back sometimes and forfeit everything that they have just to get back to that place of happiness. Now it doesn't even have to be literally a physical drug. It can be doing something that is uh, a a behavior that will bring you to a place that will put you in a state change of happiness. Let me say this as we begin here this morning. If you're taking notes, I want you to put down as long as you are all about you, you won't be happy. Here's what I know. is You can try your best, to, and it's not going to work. You can, you can acquire... You can consume, and I'm not talking about just food, I'm talking about acquiring things. You can acquire, you can consume, and you can exercise, but you still will not, in the long haul, become happy. There's something about us that we've been told through different sources that if we just do this, if we just have that, if we just just acquire that, oh boy, there'll be a smile on your face the rest of your life. 
And the longer that you're alive, you realize that that's not true. Now, now think about it with me. There's all of us that we get to the place where we begin to look at people and we go, you know what? If I had their marriage, if I had his body, my goodness, look at that guy. Look at her. If, if, ladies, if I could fit into that dress, boy. If I had his house, if I had her car, if I had their job, oh man, I would just be happy and I would be just singing all day long. And and I'm not talking about it's being bad to aspire in people to be uh, maybe a little bit of a self-motivation to reach something, but but I'm talking about the, 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 the thought of acquiring, consuming, and, and exercising your way to perfect you. There's something about us that we think that if we can take that person's that, that person's that, that person's that, and we could just acquire that. Probably there's nobody here that would want to totally give up 100% of yourself to do that, but there's, there's parts of other people that we would put inside of us. But you know what a composite person in my definition is? You can call that person Frankenstein. Because it's a little piece, and that's who he was, a monster of a little bit of everybody in himself. That's not going to lead to happiness. It's not going to be if you can acquire more, if you can consume more, if you can exercise more, everything's going to take place that you've always wanted in your life. Now, if that's true, I'm going to give you the second thing in my sermon as we move quickly through this. And this is the most counterintuitive thing that I was talking about that brings us to the point of going, huh? Say it again. Pastor, you got an agenda for me today that I don't think is true? Well, let, let's just say it. Number two, you can't acquire, consume, and exercise your way to happiness, but you can serve and volunteer your way there. I didn't get one amen out of this whole crowd. Yeah. Yippee! What time, Mildred, are they going to be over today? Let me tell you, out of experience and observation and investigation, people that would say that is totally wrong have been totally wrong. If you look at, and if you don't believe me, go home and look on the internet and do research yourself. But the University of Chicago did their own research, and you know, they wanted to make sure it wasn't just a theory, but they they wanted to see if this was true. What are the most satisfying jobs that a person can work at? And after interviewing and doing all this investigation, these are the ones. These are the ones caring for others, teaching others, protecting others. And then the fourth one was creating, uh, creating pursuits or creative pursuits. That's like music and arts and so forth. I put the fourth one in just so that you know that there are more, but the top three are all doing something for someone else. Now, now stop and think about that. There, there's something about job satisfaction that is not who we are, but that's what we do. And, and unless you're individually 
self-made or whatever you want to call it. You're you're just don't need anybody, and, and you're a multi multi gazillionaire. You have to work, and if you work, a lot of your day is made up of that job. So when you look at these jobs and you go, why are these people more satisfied and why are they more healthy? Or they're more healthy? It's because of getting what they're doing for others. They they built a link that was even more bizarre because they said after a certain amount of income, you know, pretty much enough to to pay the bills, eat and sleep and live indoors, there was no 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 regulation of money in these jobs of how much they had to make. There, there was no really salary that you had to have in these jobs to make you happy. There, there's no need even for that amount of money. It just was that what people did on a regular basis in these jobs made them happy. Now, out of these jobs, I thought it was pretty interesting that the top professions, number one was clergy, physical therapist, firefighters, educational administrators, and then it came to artists. Later, clergy was edged out by school principals, which it's just so happened that my mother and my family are either in ministry or principals in schools. So we have a riot at Christmas. It's interesting, though, that there's no link between a high salary and happiness. But when we come out of high school, we all are been told that get a get a job that has a future that's going to make you a lot of money. I wonder what our culture would be like if our high schools were teaching and our colleges were teaching, forget the money, that's good, but but focus on doing something for others. I wonder what our culture would be like that we live in. Here's another one. A UK, a UK study reviewed 40 other studies over 20 years. So this wasn't one that was just happening, you know, recent or one that happened in the 50s. This was 20 studies or 40 studies over 20 years. They put a link between volunteering, volunteering somewhere and health. This is what decreased by volunteering or serving in a spot. Depression, your depression decreased. Heart disease, drug use, stress, and unplanned pregnancies. But not only did it decrease by volunteering, but here's what it increases in a person's life. Psychological well-being, physical health, their self-esteem, even longevity, that they live longer, they've proven. And when people volunteer and they serve in a place, even their quality of life, now th- this is bizarre, that even the quality of life and being able to fight a disease is more in their favor. Is that not a hoot? In, in a culture that we need another pill, can, can anybody give me a pill? for That you're telling me, Pastor, that it is proven that a behavior, not a pill, can change the way that you feel? An antidepressant? In a quality of life that you can put a smile on your face. Yeah. 
This morning, as the subject of this series is, is what makes you happy? You get to this place and you go, man, my intuition on what would make me happy has nothing to do with serving or volunteering in a place. And and it's not just in a church if you're wondering if I'm going to lay out this whole list of volunteering opportunities. Because I know our children's pastor is visiting over here in the left side and he's smiling ear to ear. That's right, we got children's ministry positions available. And our youth ministers do too. But that's not what I'm preaching on today. I I want you to first understand that when you get to a place of how could that be? How how in the world can, can behaving selflessly make me myself happier? How in the way, how is there any way that emptying myself out, I feel like I'm filled up? Or when I pour myself out to volunteer somewhere, there's something that I I just, it feels like I'm feeling up. And and you that work in the church and, and you that volunteer and serve, you know how this feels. You go home and Physically, you might be kind of exhausted because you're helping in different areas of the church and, and ministry. And, and there's something about you that, why do you get a smile on your face? You just served all those people and you did all that work. And it's so rewarding. When, when you think about it this way, really the best thing that you can do for yourself is quit doing so much for yourself. In other words, what's the best for your family is to find another family and serve them. Can you imagine if this was a church where you go, hey, what can I do for you? Only way that you're going to do something for me is I can do something for you. That didn't get a real bang. So, you know, when you talk weeks and weeks ago, about how sin has a a way of separating us. Your definition of sin, it could be the New Testament, the Old Testament, your own definition, but we know that sin separates. And when it separates, it has an intention of killing, stealing, and destroying what is of value to us, what God has put into our life. So here's what we know, is when we're talking a subject about like this, in, in volunteering and serving, there's something about sin that raises its ugly head and goes, hey, hey, be selfish. Isolate yourself over here in another area and do what feels good for the moment. And you're going to be happy. There's something about sin that tries to talk us out of doing this. And Paul is writing to the church at Galatia in chapter 5, and he kind of answers this. And it's something that when you have read this, maybe as a child, or maybe you read it this week in a Bible study, he kind of, all of a sudden it goes, bing! Watch this. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, Paul says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. He's going, come on guys. Do I even need to say this? This is so obvious. But the acts of the flesh, which again is the sinful nature, the the thing that cuts off our purpose of what God has created us to be, the separation between the creator and the creature (laughs) that we are, that God has created, severs our relationship. These are the things that do that. In other words, if you could do anything that you want at any moment of the day, 
with no cost to you because all the money was available and it was to hurt somebody else. Here's what you do. Verse 19, it says sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, which debauchery is just continually doing things that are wrong, sexually sins. Idolatry, which is a, a really a word you don't hear today, but really you're trying to put God, even our God, in a place of doing your bidding, almost like he's magic, you know. Having the gods do their favor was what the Old Testament people of, of different nations would do in idolatry. He says, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, and discord. In other words, you're always you know, whispering about somebody and, hey, do you know what they did? You know, that whole gossip thing. That, that's what, what our sinful nature does. And jealousy. Fits of rage. None of us have that problem, do we? You haven't driven on I-35 in the last six months. <laughs> now I got a response out of the congregation. Hallelujah! Here's another one. Fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions. In other words, you're trying to divide groups of people. And envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. See, these are all pleasures for you at someone else's expense. Each one of these, you know what they are? They're they're appetites. And we talked about this. Appetites never get filled up. They're always coming back for more. He says in 21, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, now he'll transfer over and say, "But, but look at this. This is what I think is positive. This is the will of God in the word of God. It says this. In verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit, these are verses, the acts of the flesh. Fruit of the Spirit, acts of the flesh. These are the fruit of the Spirit. It's love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control equals happiness. Some of you have Memorize those as maybe a child. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And and I I had a friend that every time that I was with her and and she was with our family and and somebody would go, she'd go, I'm not for sure what fruit of the Spirit that one was. Which would bring that person back to reality. Whoop! See, Here's what I know, and you got to remember this. The, the reason why that goes against who you are is because of the words divine design. This is what God has created you to be, is not selfish. And, and there's something about being selfish and being contrary to our design of what God has created is it eventually breaks us down. We, we don't even live as long. There's something about, again, let me just kind of begin wrapping this up. Do, do you know how you feel when you can't get what you want? 
Has anybody beside me ever gotten to that point? <laughs> we, we, we get frustrated. Because we, we always want that, whatever that is. And, and when you're talking about the acts of the flesh, there, there's something about that always that appetite that wants more, 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 and we can't get it. And, 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 and again, realize that we're in this world, but we're not of this world. We have a promised destination of being with God throughout eternity. But whatever culture you're in right now, realize our culture says through the media, everything that we see, that really the acts of those flesh, the things that we talked about, that's going to bring you happiness. But understand that they're always hungry for more. And there's always going to be a point of frustration because you can't get enough. But there's something about giving of yourself that you can never, ever give all of yourself, even though you try. There's always going to be more. And, and there's something about the rewarding, again, that what we're going for is the happiness and that state change of being selfless and giving of ourselves. Do you know what we value or measure the value of life? If you haven't understood this, let me give you something that it's going to change your perspective because as a pastor, I do funerals. And every time I do a funeral, we come to this point of the value of life. And I don't plan, and I never have, gotten to the point in a funeral when, we, when I've talked and all the songs have been sung and everything's been done that I pointed at a board and I said, you know what, this man was amazing. He was immoral. He was impure. He was hateful every chance he got. He was jealous of his wife every turn she took. He always was angry. He was selfish at everything he did. He was argumentative. He envied everybody's stuff. And if he wasn't drunk, he was asleep. And everybody went, oh, he changed my life. He really put back into our society. You'll never attend another funeral the same way. We measure the value of life by what we can give out of our life. You were designed by the giver of life to give your life away. It, it, it goes so... We, we think of so much as wealth and money. And, and the world will... They hate the church talking about money because it's, it makes them uncomfortable. And it makes us do something that doesn't come natural and that's to give away. But can I tell you, the least of all this that I'm talking about in giving and serving and volunteering is giving money. To help somebody else out. But we put that number one. That's mine. But it's about our time, our talent, the, the, what God has given us to be able to help. You know what fights against my flesh probably one of the hardest? Is when somebody asks me to do an act of service that I do regularly to fight against that feeling. What I found out is I had friends, but boy, do I have a lot of friends now that I bought a truck. 
And the ones that were still out there on the fence, I bought a 16-foot trailer and they came on in. Pastor, how are you doing? Can you help me move? Where are you going to move? I'm going to move to an apartment across town and it's on the third floor. I got a piano. Do you have some people to help? Come on now. Has anybody been there beside me? What goes off on the inside? There's something that in the flesh goes, Oh, I got to rearrange my sock drawer. I got a photo album that I need to replace the tape in. I come up with anything. But how many people are on the other side? Come on now. How many people have ever moved and you got to the place where you couldn't move everything? Can I see your hand? Now, let me see your hand. If you had to ask somebody, not, not if you had enough money at the time to pay for movers. Well, we all appreciate that. But let's ask, have you ever been on a place where you had to, could, could we maybe possibly have some help? Anybody ever have to do that? Is there anything more appreciative than a person that you're helping move? You know, usually it's the pizza, you know. It's what we can do right now, but it's not the pizza that I'm doing it for. Sometimes. I'm not saying don't have pizza if I help you move, but, but let's put that down. But it's in helping, and especially helping someone that's appreciative that we all get to that place where we go, wow. Do you know, that's what our church, one of our foundation things is, is, is again, learning how to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors ourselves. And when we put it into play, when we actually do what we're learning to do, that it brings happiness. Do, do you know that I've raised four children in this church, and I'm a happy customer? Do you know that at the end of all of our meals and we go, it's time to clean up, there's been people over the year that got to go. Mildred, get your purse. Let's get out of here. I, no, no, that, that's the group of people. It's going to happen. We love you, whoever that person that was in our church. They're not here anymore. And I remember at a young age, my children going, Dad, why are we the only guys, the children in here helping? All of our friends are out. I said, you're going to stick with it. Because you know, I left out something of those studies that were done. They say that teenagers <laughs> that even have a bad attitude, because we know most te teenagers always have a bad attitude about everything. But even teenagers that have a bad attitude that are made to volunteer and serve. Again, what is added to their life, those things that increase, the things that decrease are there. And my children see life a whole different way. Not that they love, oh, let me help, let me do things. But it's because they have done it as a child and they have grown up that even the scientific studies say that they're more willing to volunteer as an adult. So let's rewind that. Some of us adults weren't made to volunteer or never volunteered early in life. So we have to purposely say, you know what? I am going to look for opportunities. Do you know that I had some work done at my house and he was an electrician. And this electrician came out and he said, 
So you're a pastor? And sometimes that's good and sometimes it's not good. And you kind of are going, yes, I am. And he goes, finally. And I went, what? He goes, can you please help me? Tell me what you need before I you know, get in there. He says, do you have anybody in your church that I could come and bless and do some electrical work? Now, all of us are going, right here. But what does that do to you when somebody says, I'm looking for someone to bless? And we're not talking about a, a, a common trade. I'm talking about in all the buildings that we've done, they say that the electrician is like the top of the food chain. And all you have to do is talk to them sometimes and they feel that way. So this guy is willing to come out. And I'm thinking, he's found out what we're talking about today. I don't even know, as I talked to him about being a believer and where he is in his life, I, don't, I think he's still struggling to even commit his life to God. But he's learned this is the way to happiness. Now, let me end with this. If you go to the wisest man that has ever lived, Solomon, he said in, in Psalms 112, and, and you can read that, how, how wealth is into the righteous hands, a righteous man's house and, and all the things that he does. And it's continually that he's giving of himself, giving of his wealth. He's a giver. And somebody here might say, well, I thought Jesus was the wisest man. Well, do you remember what he said about this subject? The greatest among you will be the servant among you. So this morning as we come to the end of this series, what makes you happy? And we're going to get into the habits and all the things that are coming. I want you to understand this is going together. So the first thing in, in our study on habits and how it's going to propel us in our life is I'm going to ask you not what you want to achieve or the items that you want to process. But I'm going to ask you this. Who do you want to become? And maybe you'll say, I want to become a reader or um, I would like to be more healthy. I'm, I'm a healthy person. But one of the things or one of the persons or one of the people that you could say is, I want to be happy. And when you say that, you're going to create habits of these things that we've talked about. Being at peace. Sewing, which is having a habit. And maybe being a giver and volunteering and serving outside of yourself. Let's pray. Father, you're a wonderful Father and you've given us insight through your word. How to do life. Not just to, how to do it, but to do it better. And God, we believe as followers of you and disciples that God, that you have come to give us life because you're the life giver. But God, not just to give us life, but give it to the full and even to the overflow. And Father, today, we give you the authority to speak into our life this week, bring this message back to our minds. That God, that we're more than just a hearer of the word, but doer of the word. In your wonderful name we pray.
Amen. Amen. Amen.